You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. We're speaking with Craig Graham. He's the owner of Vagabond Books. Thank you for joining me, Craig. Oh, you're very welcome. My wife, Patty Graham, also is a co-owner. We wouldn't have survived this long if it wasn't for her. I can imagine. So how long have you survived? Uh, when did you create the bookstore and why? Uh, we, I got a, my wife and I met when I was working in a bookstore in 1972. and uh, That's 35 years ago, and we started our uh, bookstore in 1977. We saved up, worked a series of rotten jobs saved up money and uh, opened our store. And we did it as a, a fun thing to do because we love literature and uh, we wanted to have a bookstore. We opened near the Santa Monica Pier on Broadway. We had Ocean View and it was a fantastic year, the most eccentric times. All the characters would come into our store. And it was a, a blast. It was a party. But actually people were there uh, to talk about books and writing and stuff. So it was a if you're a literary person, it was really stimulating. It was a great time. So tell me, in the, the 30 years since you've opened, you're no longer on Broadway. Tell me about the succession of stores and why you moved and where and, and where and how. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's like most bookstores, stories. If you don't own your building, you have a series of, uh, of lousy landlords. And so we... Uh, we had a lousy landlord in Santa Monica, and he wanted to demolish the buildings. It was all artists in this area where we were at. There was, it was a great area for artists. There was lots of little quiet storefronts that were art galleries and stuff, no names on them. So he, he wanted to sell his building. It became part of a giant mall in Santa Monica, our property. So he moved to Westwood. Another store was moving to West Hollywood, so he moved over to Westwood Boulevard. We were there for 18 or 20 years, I guess. And uh, on Westwood Boulevard, and um, uh, of course the rent would always go up. I had one occasion where I was quitting. My wife had convinced me to quit my job so the store could pay for everything, and our landlord doubled our rent. <laughs> so I kept my job for another year to keep it going. And uh, business died on Westwood Boulevard completely. We were open during the riots and uh, put up a lot of stuff. We expanded the store and um, the recession and all and a lot of uh, large uh, chain stores opened around us, and business dwindled to zero. There was no traffic uh, parking in the afternoon. They towed the cars away of our customers. So so we moved to uh, Brentwood. I took out a home loan, and we moved to Brentwood. And we were there for five years at a great store. And then, uh, uh, as, as usual, our, uh, our building was uh, sold behind our backs. So all the tenants in the building would have kept love to have bought it as a condominium or as a co-op, but it was sold behind our backs and all the rents were more than doubled. My son got accepted to USC Film School and um, we had the landlord, this Arab, came and said that uh, he doubled the rent and if we couldn't pay it would move out. So it was went to over $10,000 a month. We had 15 days notice. And so um, uh, we decided it was more important to send our school on the USC Film School. So we closed our store and uh, moved all of our books 
into our house and into our backyard and into our garage in overflow. So we sold books from our house for a couple of years, and then we rented a warehouse in Culver City where we're presently at. We kept our books expecting to open another store somewhere, and it, in the meantime, the book business turned, to, uh, turned more to mail order with the invention of the Internet, which hugely um, influenced the book business. So lots of uh, stores moved and changed and stuff. So it was, it's a huge time of transition. So you went from having a, a bricks and mortar location to having to being essentially a virtual bookstore. You're a warehouse with a website. That's correct. One uh, pundit one time said that uh, one day we'll all be sitting, referring to booksellers, we'll be sitting in a warehouse with a laptop computer, and that's all we'll be doing in the shipping department. And it's kind of come to that, oddly. A lot of the major used bookstores uh, are struggling or have gone out of business around the country. Southern California, they've been struggling. And uh, even though Southern California never really supported a large general bookstore uh, in the Los Angeles area, um, the small stores uh, got by and uh, a, a, numerous, numerous stores have closed. Uh, Heritage Books, Other Times Books, The Book Baron, uh, some of the large the Book Powerful Baron closed. Oh my! Yeah, yeah, they're 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 having a final sale this this December, and they're gone January first. I think they've been around forever too. These people that you assume are always part of your life, you know, and uh, they're they're vanishing. It's all changing, completely changing. And the, the part of the effect is that young people don't really seem to be interested in the numbers they used to be in working in bookstores or uh, owning bookstores or creating their own stores. But the emphasis has kind of moved away from books. And uh, so there's not a lot of enthusiasm for kids opening new bookstores. It costs a lot of money to open a store. It's a big financial and, and time uh, requirement. And uh, you can get socked and be out of business pretty quick. So it's a very changing, very changing. Uh, you know, it used to be the bookstores and music stores were the cultural places where people met and hung out. And there's, they don't, those places are going, disappearing. Rhino Records is gone, and uh, their uh, their bricks and mortar store is gone. And uh, it's just a change. They used to be our neighbors over on Westwood Boulevard. And we had, you know, music, all kinds of great stuff happening. We were known as Booksellers Row on Westwood Boulevard. There was around twenty. Uh, out-of-print rare bookstores at one time. People used to come on tour buses from uh, on flights from Germany and visit our stores. And so it was a, a well-known area, completely vanished. There's nothing left there. So it's, a, it's an odd time. It's an odd time for bookselling. Although I have to say, uh, with the onslaughts of chains and all of the tumultuous changes that happened in the book business, the uh, more people are able to read... And the quality of books has never been higher, with diversity and the supply of books being enormous. So it's kind of a it's it's you know kind of a contradiction almost. So it, it, I do know that uh, you don't see many people walking around reading books <laughs> this day, especially in Los Angeles. But um, uh, this is supposed to be a huge book market. So I, I, don't know. I don't know. Maybe the chains have won. I don't go to chain stores and follow their their businesses anymore. But uh, it seems that they may have won against the small independent stores. 
there, there are good stores, independent stores around uh, still. Um, there's a book soup in West Hollywood. Um, a new store opened in Venice, Equator Books. But they sell they sell used books, and then um, Village Books and Pacific Palisades is a small community-based store. It's real nice, and uh, they're struggling. They have an article, that, an ad in the uh, Palisades Post newspaper that they they need customers desperately. So um, the support they need the community support to stay in business. So it's sad, but it's almost begging to for people to come in and buy books to stay keep from going out of business. Well, I can see the appeal of that. Now, one thing you've done is you mentioned you're publishing books now. For 20 years, we published books. It's, it's always uh, something we love to do. You know, we always, we read Sylvia Beach's autobiography and uh, always decided that, that was that was a superb way to live your life. Well, we, we like, we always wanted to publish books. We had a lot of authors. We, our store was very social. We had lots of signings and readings and author events and uh, cultural events, and they were loads of fun. That's, it was much more than a place that was commercial about selling books. That was always secondary, pretty much, to working on the creation of books. And we published a lot of authors, and we had some great, great, uh, huge parties. One of our great parties was a 50th anniversary publication party for Bud Schulberg with uh, What Makes Sammy Run, his classic book. We had a lot of seven, I think seven news stations showed up on that, and it was just an idea we had. It was, you know, a great historic evening, and uh, a lot of pe- people took photographs and fondly remember it and still tell us that today. So we see a lot of book people still around. That part of the culture has the will to survive. Now, but we did we do publish books. We published uh, James Elroy it was our first book we published, and we published uh, novels by Jim Thompson. Three books by Ray Bradbury. We published Harry Cruz's last two books. Um, a variety of books, things that we like. We think we should be out there, and they're they're fun to do. We did a uh, art book, illustrated uh, 50th anniversary edition of Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451, illustrated by Ralph Steadman. Wow, and that was a that was a massive undertaking, and uh, took two and a half years to complete it. But it's got new material, and we. We found out uh, the ironic thing of that was in the the current editions of Fahrenheit 451, there's hundreds of mistakes that have been generated over the years with different systems of printing and stuff. And uh, so we re- we corrected all those. We got the asbestos edition from Ray Bradbury's own collection. Asbestos the, edition. Yeah, <laughs> typeset, retypeset the entire book, checking everything, and then we went over every correction with Ray. And there was a few mistakes even in the original edition, so we corrected all those. So. That was a labor of love, a demanding labor of love, too. Do those make money for you? Uh, we just want to break even with them. We want to break even enough so that we can publish the next book. Sometimes they don't always break even. I had published a hard-boiled book I really liked. It's a collection of short stories by Paul Kane, the hardest of hard-boiled writers. He wrote a fast one. And the printing printer's bill came due. My wife said, you haven't sold one copy even though I'd advertised it. So she said, I guess uh, I had to sell my Austin Healey I had at the time to pay the printing bill. (laughs) So so some have have been disasters and other ones have been done okay. But it's great great fun having a a book uh, in process and working on it. The last uh, 
couple books. Our son, who graduated from when he did graduate from SC Film School, he uh, also is an artist. And he helped uh, design the dust jackets for the Harry Cruz novel *An American Family*, and he uh, did the artwork as a frontispiece for the book. So uh, it became a family affair, you know, having my son work with it. It was great fun. He helped on Futuria Fantasia, uh, which because it's a historically important book. It's a book from the golden era of science fiction that was a lost, and it was a book that Ray willed himself into print with this book because nobody would publish him, and it was published. This the book that we did was actually written and put together nine years before his first book was published in 1947. Wow! Because I've never heard of it, I was wondering where did this unknown Ray Bradbury book come from? It's it's a comical thing as a as a as an entity itself. Ray um, uh, with Forrest Ackerman. We who's interviewed for the book encouraged Ray to have his own publication because Ray was helping um, uh, Forrest Ackerman with a publication called Imagination, and Forrest Ackerman, being the great guy he was, said you should have your own. You're so full of talent and you're kind of a whirlwind tor- tornado character, so he said you should have your own. So, so he had uh, uh, encouraged Ray to do this, and so Ray. Uh, they mimeographed. Ray wrote about 80% of this. It was supposed to be interviews and all this stuff, but Ray, under different pseudonyms, um, uh, created a lot of uh, stories and stuff under pseudonyms. So he wrote 80% of it, and he had uh, Robert Heinlein and Henry Kuttner also supplied stories. And he had artwork by Hannes Bach, who, uh, in our book, uh, Ray took the pamphlet, the first pamphlet, there was four of them that were completed, and he took it to the first science fiction convention in New York City, and uh, he gave them out, and he took the um, art portfolio of uh, Hannes Bach to New York, and he went to um, the offices of the editor of Weird Tales magazine, showed him his artwork, and said, you have to hire Hannes Bach, and so he did. And so um, Hannes Bach became a famous artist with Weird Tales magazine, and Ray took the train back to Seattle and told him this in person. Hannes Bach gave him a piece of artwork of one of his paintings, and Ray gave it to us, and we used it as uh, printed it in the book as the frontispiece, the color frontispiece. Wow! So uh, they, it's, it's all it's all connected, and so we brought this. There was Ray hand published on a mimeograph machine. He typed them himself and mimeographed these off the four issues of Fertility Fantasia, and we printed from his the, the copies in his own collection. Interviewed him about it, so we have a history of that era, this fantastic era where all these great writers were meeting at Clifton's Cafeteria in uh, downtown Los Angeles, and it's you can, we liken it to the the expatriate uh, era, the legendary era in in Paris of the expatriate writers with Hemingway and Fitzgerald and Gertrude Stein and all the artists and things there, because this was an astounding amount of talent. And people who become legendary and famous later on in life. So this was from an unknown era. So this was Ray's own publication. And he suggested that um, he had it, and people had asked about it that were his fiendish uh, readers of his, but it was known to be uh, to exist, but Ray had copies, so we printed from it. He only did 100 copies each, and, uh, and most of them were destroyed and lost. So we got his copies, and we... we made a book out of it. Like, we created a book that if Ray had published this book in 1939, this would have been how it looked. Wow. It's a hardcover book. So the, an interesting note was that the, the cover art for this book um, was a painting by Hannes Bach, 
which was stolen from Ray's office and uh, had disappeared 50 or 60 years ago, never seen light, it never resurfaced. And uh, somebody had taken a slide photograph of it, and uh, his bibliographer, Don Albright, had a copy of the slide, and he sent it to us, and my son reproduced it for the cover of the book. So the art might be stolen, but it lives on the cover of the book. Uh, and it's one of Hannes Bach's signature paintings, too, of a, of a space alien. Really intriguing picture. It grabs you. We kept this book simple. There's no ads on it. There's no list of other publications, anything like that, because they wouldn't have been because he hadn't had them yet. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's just fun to do that. I mean, it's, for all of Ray Bradbury fans, this is a great great moment to get this book they could never obtain any other way. So it was, it was fun. But of course, um, we went out, sent out to advertise it, and we couldn't get a review from Publishers Weekly or Locust Magazine. Uh, we've paid for ads, and uh, they're on the wrong place. So I think we started uh, trying to advertise on the Internet since that was keeping us going, and uh, we had a really good response from that. So the kind of the print avenues that you would expect a book to be uh, advertised in and talked about in uh, failed us. So we were happy that, uh, thanks to the Internet, we got the word out to people that the book existed. So it's kind of ironic. Yeah, print <laughs> fails itself. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I, I, I was, I, nobody's more shocked about it than me because I've totally dedicated my whole life to books and, and uh, writing and reading. And uh, this is an astounding, astounding turn of events. So, um, can you tell me? Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your your website? This is your now your only means of selling books. Uh, how how do you do the e-commerce yourself? Uh, my wife is the computer genius around here. My son's great. And my wife does most of the internet uh, activities. Um, uh, we have a website www.vagabondbooks.com, and uh, we we list and sell books on that. And since it's time. I'm exhaustive in the sense of how much time it takes to one book to be processed. And we sell books for, you know, $10, and $10 to probably $50,000 or so sometimes. And so there's a huge range, but they all take the same time. And uh, you just sit quietly in a warehouse without the, you know, the people coming in. And, and uh, it's kind of shocking stuff. It's the way it's changed. But people contact us through the Internet. Our old customers contact us. We do antiquarian book fairs, uh, exhibited antiquarian book fairs that are still fun. We're members of the Antiquarian Booksellers Association. That's a nationwide organization, and we attend their, the book fairs and exhibit there. How about uh, conventions, science fiction conventions? Uh, I, I don't. I haven't done those. Uh, it's you know I was raising a family, I had two kids, and so I, I tried to keep doing those things to a minimum. I did one BoucherCon, which is a mystery. Convention. I did one in San Diego, and that was a lot of fun. But when you had an open store, the demands on your time were colossal. Right. We worked worked seven days a week, at least twelve hours a day. Boy. Yeah. For thirty years, it 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 wears you out. Sure, we had vacations, but it the the amount of time it takes is always stuff undone, and there's you know it's a lot of detail and remembering who wants what book. We used to have a lot of in the old days. You used to have wants book wants from people, and you would keep lists and get books and try and call people and find books for them. And, uh, the Internet's made it a lot easier for people to find books now, which is great. But that used to be very time-consuming. And uh, you know, it was a, 
book business was very service oriented in our earlier era. Now it's 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 very detached because it's all electronic communications. Book orders come electronically. They hardly ever have contact with people. But being old fashioned, we encourage people to call us up and talk to us so we can describe the book to them. <laughs> so it has changed a lot. It's changed a lot. Can you tell me about some books that are forthcoming, perhaps, that you're very interested in? Think that people uh, would like? I, my readers have a diverse tastes. Well, um, well we are the latest, uh, the, the novel that we did this past year was a Harry Cruz novel uh, called American Family. And we've always been big fans of his, and we've met him, and we just had this great relationship with him. And so we published his last two books. And uh, if he he's working on a book right now, and if he offers it to us to publish, we, of course, would do it. So he's somebody that we admire and like publishing his books. Uh, I have uh, uh, been, instead of working on other published books, it's a, it's a huge relief to have a book finished that's taken over two years. We had three going, and they took six, six years about to, to finish these three books, in addition to keeping your book business going and paying bills and all that. So um, I've edited two books recently, and I've been doing more of that. I, I'm a silent reader. I read books nobody's ever heard of and may never be published, but I, I read a little I like to help friends out that write books, and so I read their material and um, try and help them, you know, write the best book they possibly can. As right now, I'm not working on another publication. I've written a, a small book myself. I might get published, and I, uh, um, I'm still fiddling with it. I might have an illustrator and things like that. But I, I, I love encouraging other people to write and work at writing and reading books. So that's more where my Real happiness lies right now than publishing another book. But it'd have to be great. You know, we like to publish books that we really love and believe in. That's why we publish like The Killer Inside Me and Child of Rage and some of these books that ordinary publishers were kind of nervous about doing. And uh, they're just fun to do. So, and it's really interesting in uh, an education working with an author on editing their book so interesting to discover their their thought processes as you read a book and how the creativity flows and how a book is developed and written in, as in, from an editorial standpoint. A lot of fun. It helps with the, anybody that's interested in writing, if they ever ed, have the opportunity to edit somebody's manuscript, it's very instructional, just like transcribing an interview is, is instructional uh, on grammar and sentence structure. and uh, um, It's a lot of fun to do. You have to have a certain kind of personality, I suppose. But anyway, it's something we still like to do. We've been speaking with Craig Graham. His, he's the owner of Vagabond Books. Thank you for joining me, Craig. Oh, a great pleasure, Rick. I'm, I'm happy to do it. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.